This morning we are beginning a new series of studies in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. To give you a little of the context, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes is a powerful ruler in the ancient Middle East. And he rules over most of that area. And as a trusted confidant of the king, this gives you a little background into the story of Nehemiah. And so we begin chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekalah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the city of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of of this man. 2019 will, I suspect, for many of us be a memorable year. We will go through the normal rhythm and seasons of life. For some of us in our families, we will have children and grandchildren. Others in our family will graduate. Some will go to grad school. Some will receive the first job. Some will move into a new home. Some will think of downsizing or retiring. And those will be days of great blessing and encouragement and strengthening in your faith as you sense the Lord leading and guiding and directing you. But others of us will remember 2019 for other reasons. For some of us, we will lose a spouse. Some in our family will be wrestling with early onset of dementia. Others of us will lose a job. Some of us will find 2019 very difficult and it will live in our memory. And as a congregation, 2019 is a seminal year 
Most of you are aware that we are about to embark on a significant and comprehensive campus planning program. It has taken two or three years to get to this point. And in the next few weeks, you're going to hear more and more about it as we get further into Nehemiah and sense God's call upon our lives. The action we take, the decisions we make, will shape and fashion our life and ministry together for the next 30 to 35 years. And it's for that reason we are hosting next Wednesday evening, as you heard me say moments ago, a time of prayer. Focused, intentional prayer. Not casual, not Lord bless us as a church, but Lord work in our midst. May we become the people you are calling us to be. Nehemiah, in that year, and it begins in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was still in the city, citadel of Susa, he heard of all that was happening in Jerusalem. It became a memorable year for him. You may be saying this morning, Richard, why Nehemiah? Why not Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Joseph or David or Moses who led the people of Israel out of captivity and slavery into the promised land and God was at work in a spectacular fashion? So why Nehemiah. What makes him different from others? Well, let me give you a little of the setting of Nehemiah, culturally, historically. The setting of the book of Nehemiah is the rebuilding of a nation. Almost 150 years before, around the year 587 BC, the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and then the southern kingdom of Judah and exiled its citizens. But after Babylon fell to the Persians, King Cyrus reversed the Babylonian policy and allowed some Jewish groups to return to Jerusalem in the year 538 BC. Their first act, or acts rather, were to build an altar and rebuild the temple. And you'll see that in Ezra, the book that comes immediately before Nehemiah, in those first six chapters. And in 445 BC, Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem to bring transformation to the city and hope to the people through rebuilding of the city walls. Now, that's a very gentle, brief overview of all that happens in the book of Nehemiah. God had been working in the life of Nehemiah and bringing him to a place where he would use Nehemiah in a spectacular spectacular fashion to influence and transform not just the external wall of the city, and we're certainly going to see that, but also the spiritual heart of the city. And we as a congregation are asking similar questions. Father, how can we, as your people in this place at the corner of Richardson and Washington, how do we go about renewing and refreshing and transforming the spiritual heart of this city? And it's as important as that. And that's where we're going during January and February as we get deeper and deeper into the book of Nehemiah. And the other thing you'll discover 
in studying Nehemiah is this, that it's like reading someone's journal. It's almost as if you can sense Nehemiah's heart as he pours it out on the page, page after page. It's almost as if you can hear him sighing and moaning and grieving after the loss of genuine faith in the people of Israel. And you'll also discover, this is where I need you to be careful, you'll also discover this, that the deeper you go into the book of Nehemiah, you may well find yourself praying, Father, let me be like Nehemiah in my day. Help me to create no small plans. Let me be daring, audacious, taking initiative and innovation for your purpose and your cause in my church, in this city, in my family, in my place of work. Don't be surprised if God begins to answer that prayer in a spectacular fashion. Now, so much for the introduction. Let's come to the text of Scripture itself. We're jumping to verse 2. So far, we have discovered that Nehemiah is one of the senior leaders in his government, the administration of his day. He was a close confidant of the king. His official title was that of cupbearer, but cupbearer would give you the impression simply a food taster. He was much more than that. Over the last hundred years or so, a number of folks from Judah, Jerusalem, Israel have returned back to ancient Israel. But Nehemiah has established himself where he is. He has a senior position. He's not ready to give it up just yet. And we break in at verse 2. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, initially into Babylon, and also I asked them about Jerusalem. And they said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And notice his instinctive response, verse 4. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and earth. And then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey him, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. The first thing you see of Nehemiah is this. He had a tender heart. He's overwhelmed with compassion for folks back in Jerusalem and Israel who are struggling. They say, in fact, they're in disgrace. They haven't got as far as they wanted. They came back filled with hopes and longings. And over the last hundred years or so, they have managed spectacularly to rebuild the temple. But it hasn't gone any further than that. And the future of the nation and the city was in jeopardy. It was as serious as that, a compassionate, tender heart. 
And here is the next thing. Nehemiah is not only moved to tears, but also to fasting and prayer. And he cries out to God in what is one of the great verses in the book of Nehemiah. And if you underline your Bible or put an asterisk in the margin, this is one of those great prayers. Notice how he begins. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. Now, why does Nehemiah begin there? He begins there and he does exactly what all biblical characters do. In the midst of challenging, difficult days where things are not going well, Nehemiah, like other biblical characters, turns to the one fixed point in his life that will not let him down. And he focuses on the faithfulness of God. Do you see that? O Lord God, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. Let me ask you a question. The answer is fairly obvious. But if you're anything like I am, there will be moments in your life when you will forget the answer. You know it. You've heard it multiple times before. But because of the pressure you're under, the difficulties you're facing, you will forget the answer. And here is the question. Nehemiah knew what we forget. And here it comes. That God is sufficient for your every challenge. Let me say it again. God is sufficient for your every challenge. Whatever you are facing. How difficult, how complex, how painful how horrendous it is to you. God is sufficient to deal with it. And Nehemiah understands that entirely, and that's why he begins, O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome. Now allow me a little moment of personal indulgence, and I will jump over here, so I'm now on my hobby horse. My hobby horse is this, that from time to time I will be having lunch with someone and we'll be in the midst of the conversation or our food has just been served and we've just taken the first couple of bites and I'll say to someone, how is your lunch? And they'll have ordered a sandwich and they'll say, it is just awesome. Now, let me leave my hobby horse for a second, come over here. The Grand Canyon is breathtaking and awesome. Yellowstone is awesome. A $6.99 sandwich is not awesome because when you... Now, if it was $3.99, it might be awesome. But when you devalue language, you devalue its meaning and its significance. And that's why Nehemiah begins the way he does. O Lord God of heaven, you are the great and awesome God 
transcendent in majesty, imminent in grace, very God of very God, who from eternity past has been faithful and gracious and loving and merciful with his people. That's what Nehemiah is focused on. That's what he's caught up with. And he's so moved, he's in tears. So allow me to ask this. Just probe a little this morning. And I'm about to go a little deeper than you may think is necessary. But please hear me when I ask you this. When was the last time you wept over your own sin? State of the nation? direction the world is heading. I don't mean sadness. I mean deep, heartfelt, gut-wrenching tears of what is going on in our world. That's where Nehemiah was. If I was to ask you this morning, what was the number one cause of death in the United States last year? I suspect most of us would say heart disease would be up there, cancer, maybe dementia seems to be ever-increasing these days. Shall I tell you what it was last year, 2018? The number one cause of death was abortion. A little child with a beating heart. And the heart is detectable after 21 days. After three weeks, it's detectable. After 28 weeks, excuse me, after 28 days, you can see it on the monitor. 41 million children died across our planet last year. 41 million Does not move you deeply? What of human trafficking, domestic abuse, gun violence? Nehemiah was deeply moved. If we are ever to impact this city of Greenville, if we are ever to renew and transform the spiritual heart of this city, we ourselves need to be moved first of all. That's where it begins. O Lord God Almighty, turning to him prayerfully, tearfully, passionately laying out our heart. Father, intervene. Beginning with ourselves, our families, our cities, our nation. Nehemiah was grieved over the condition of the city of Jerusalem. allow me to ask this. This morning, first Sunday of a new year, fresh start, a new beginning. New year is always that optimistic time of the year. The top four or five things, new year resolutions, of course, is to exercise a little more, eat a little less, read more often, more time with family. Those are typical But have you made any New Year resolutions 
in relation to your faith. This time last year, we looked at similar questions. They're printed and inside your worship folder this morning. So if you lift them out for a second, this will allow us to concentrate and leave you with something very practically as we go into a new week. Number one is this. Prayerfully ask yourself, what is the one thing you could do this year to increase your enjoyment of God? One thing to rest in Him, to trust Him, to delight in Him, to be glad in moments of prayer, opening up the Scriptures, having Him speak to you, fully engaged with Him. What is the one thing you could do? Number two, what is the most important way you will, by God's grace, try to make this year different from last year? That calls for action, doesn't it? That calls for determination and commitment. What is the one thing, by God's grace, you'll try to make different this year? Number three, what one thing could you do to improve your prayer life this year? Do you know what the number one thing is? How do you improve your prayer life? Consistency. Consistency. Number four, what is the most humanly impossible thing you will ask God to do this year. Don't start down here. Have big dreams, big hopes. Make no small plans. Something that humanly would be impossible. Number five, what single thing that you plan to do this year will matter most in 10 years or in eternity? That's a challenge, isn't it? What one biblical doctrine do you most want to understand better this year? And what will you do about it? That will be hard, but it's right there. And finally, what is the one thing you could do this year to enrich the spiritual legacy you will leave to your children and your grandchildren? There are seven resolutions there. I'm not for a second asking you to do all seven. But take it home this week. Cut it out. Put it in your Bible. Bring it back during the study of Nehemiah along with the definition or the explanation of Nehemiah. And select three. Three out of the seven. And stick to them for this year. What a difference that would make. Nehemiah's instinctive, immediate response was to pray. And this morning as we try and wrap all of this up, this morning as we gather around this table, there is no better way to begin a new year than to taking bread and wine because that's what he calls us to do. And he says, do it in memory of me. And in a morning like this, just as Nehemiah did, All those centuries ago, we remember his covenant faithfulness. We remember his love. We remember his consistency towards us. As we gather around this table in a moment, begin to strip away all the other distractions in your life and focus on all that he has accomplished for us. Towards the end of Nehemiah's prayer, 
He asked for forgiveness of our sins. And you're going to hear Claire lead us in that prayer in a moment. He goes on to remember the goodness and the forgiveness of God. And that's exactly what we will remember this morning. So we have a memorable year ahead. And may God put his arms of love and grace around us, hold us close. May it be memorable days that we live in. And may you focus on those three New Year resolutions that will make a significant difference in your life this year. Let's pray together. Father, we ask this morning that as we have studied your word, you would indeed lead and guide and direct us as individuals, as families, as a congregation. May these days be memorable days. Memorable because you are at the very center of them. Father, lead us, guide us, direct us, take us to that richer, fuller place in our relationship with you this year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.